This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, O Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. This is what I said about the Donald Trump charges from the Manhattan District Attorney on Thursday. I would give this a better than average chance that it just memory holes. You know, that's the last we hear of old Alvin Bragg, unless you're reading the New York Times. I'd say 70%. 70% chance that there's there's no mention of this ever again. Oh, buddy's nerfed. Here's what happened since then. Charges are leaked to CNN on Thursday afternoon. Ron DeSantis changes his position that he had not committed to. So it doesn't really change. But he then says, okay, I'm now off the sidelines if this crooked Soros-backed district attorney in New York is going to persecute the former president of the United States, I will not extradite him. Meaning that if Donald Trump said, I'm not listening to you, Alvin Bragg. You can't, you're not my boss. Then we would have actually had a state-on-state situation. Trump does no such thing. He voluntarily agrees that he will go to New York and face arraignment for these charges. Obviously, we were going to hear the word unprecedented uh, for a long time with regard to the legal challenges Trump faces, but it's, it's equally unprecedented for law enforcement. Over the weekend, during our timeline, the Trump world leaks massive fundraising numbers. The former president had raised more than $5 million since the news of his indictment broke late Thursday. $4 million in the first 24 hours and a million in the second. But still, the feeling of seriousness is palpable. Trump truths on the day of his arraignment, heading to Lower Manhattan, the courthouse, Seems so surreal. Wow. They're going to arrest me. Can't believe this is happening in America. MAGA. Based on your long years of service with him, how will he process that? Very poorly. Um, you know, as I like to call him sometimes in my tweets, Diaper Donald. We'll be filling up that diaper. Trump travels from Mar-a-Lago, Florida to New York City on Monday night, and he spends the night in his Trump Tower apartment. Now that the former president of the United States will arrive at 100 Center Street to the courthouse down there and be arraigned for the first time ever that a president has been charged criminally. He'll be fingerprinted. We're not sure yet if there will be a a mugshot. Some suspect he hopes there will be so he can put it on a T-shirt. But this is certainly a day for history. Protests and counter-protests are announced and then begin outside the Manhattan DA's office where he is scheduled to be arraigned on Tuesday afternoon. Congressman George Santos shows up and leaves. Marjorie Taylor Greene shows up and leaves. So we uh, have cameras in all of the relevant spots here this morning as we wait for the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, to leave his residence at Trump Tower and head downtown. The reason this is a huge story that everyone is covering is because it's unprecedented. By the time Trump gets to the district attorney's office to surrender, his team announces that he has raised $8 million. Somebody who has been the president of the United States of America was just fingerprinted 
and booked and processed to head into a courtroom to be arraigned. In that courtroom, he pleads not guilty to 34 charges of business fraud and conspiracy. But now that we know the exact charges, how worried should Trump be? Is this actually just lighter fluid for him to coalesce the party and make a lot of money in his effort to retake the White House? How about the media's role in all this? Are they relapsing into 2016 territory? Are they culpable for putting us back into a Trump-centric universe? And finally, what does this mean politically? Is there any hope for any Republican not named Donald Trump from this day forward? We answer all of those questions. For Dog and Pony Show Audio... This is Politics, 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 and I'm Justin Robert Young. All right, so the charges are out, and this is my raw reaction to them. I have read through the charges. They're easy to read for reasons that I'm going to get into in a second, and I have read through the district attorney's press release on this uh, particular charge. Uh, You can find it at manhattanda.org. District attorney Bragg announces 34 count felony indictment of former president Donald Trump. Trump is charged in a New York state Supreme court indictment with 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. The business records were concealed to uh, keep damaging information and unlawful activity from American voters before and after the 2016 election. During the election, Trump and others employed a catch-and-kill scheme to identify, purchase, and bury negative information about him and to boost his electoral prospects. Trump then went to great lengths to hide this conduct, causing dozens of false entries in business records to conceal criminal activity, including attempts to violate state and federal election laws. So that's your key here, right? State and federal election laws. If these are felony charges, which they are, they are class E felony charges, then that means that for Donald Trump to be found guilty, he has to be found guilty of violating the law that he made the business fraud to conceal. Otherwise, that's just a minim, a misdemeanor business fraud charge, as I understand it. So when we did our episode a few weeks ago, when these first came up and we were talking about John Edwards, that's those are the federal election laws that we are talking about that the feds weren't able to get Edwards on. They're going to have to prove that Donald Trump violated those laws in a court of law for the felonies to work. So this is now no longer simply about whether or not he made falsified records into his business. We need to prove, if you're the DA, you need to prove that and 
that it was in service of violating this law. So Donald Trump's defense attorneys are going to have the opportunity to attack one or both. And and they are going to attack a a lot of them. All right, let's get back to the way that Bragg has described this. According to court documents and statements made on the record in court, from August 2015 to December 2017, Trump orchestrated his catch and kill scheme through a series of payments that he then concealed through months of false business entries. In one instance, American Media Incorporated, AMI, paid 30000 to former Trump Tower doorman who claimed to have a story about a child that Trump had out of wedlock. So this is something that I had not heard mentioned around this before. American Media Incorporated is the National Enquirer and David Pecker. Once very, very close with Trump, now not so close with Trump. This is a charge for which this might be a an establishing charge because we don't come back here in this statement of facts by the DA saying that Donald Trump then paid him back. So this just might be a setting up of the fact that David Pecker admitted that they paid 30000 to a dude to keep a a Trump love child story out of the news. We move on. In a second instance, AMI paid $150,000 to a woman who alleged that she had a sexual relationship with Trump. When Trump explicitly directed a lawyer who then worked at the Trump organization as Trump's special counsel, that's Michael Cohen, to reimburse AMI in cash, the special counsel indicated to Trump that the payment should be made via a shell company and not by cash. AMI ultimately declined to accept reimbursement after consulting with their counsel, AMI, which later admitted its conduct was unlawful in an agreement with federal prosecutors, made false entries in its business records concerning the true purposes of the $150,000 payment. So they're already trying to get around the fact that Pecker has announced that none of this ever happened. So there we go. We are we are indeed McDougaling. We are McDougaling. It's not just stormying. We're McDougaling. Karen McDougal is the woman at the center of that particular charge. In a third instance, 12 days before the presidential general election, the special counsel, Michael Cohen, wired 130000 to an attorney for an adult film actress. That is Stephanie Clippertz, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels. The special counsel, who has since pleaded guilty and served time in prison for making the illegal campaign contribution, made the payment through a shell corporation funded through a bank in Manhattan. And this is where the majority of the the, the bulk of these charges uh, uh, are, you know, placed on. After winning the election, Trump reimbursed the special counsel, counsel through a series of monthly checks, first from the Donald J. Trump revocable trust created in New York to hold the Trump organization's assets during Trump's presidency and later from Trump's bank account. In total, 11 checks were issued for phony purposes. Nine of those checks were signed by Trump Each check was processed by the Trump organization and illegally disguised. So this is where they're saying it's illegal that they said that it was legal services and not a, you know, a a payment for this other payment. In total, 34 false entries were made in New York business records to conceal the initial covert $130,000 payment. Further, participants in this scheme took steps that mischaracterized for tax purposes the true nature of the reimbursement. So, we do have mentioned in here tax purposes. That is something that is 
crucial because we do mention federal election law, we mention state election law, and we mention tax purposes. So we will see going forward whether or not the case against Trump switches this more to being about tax purposes, more to being about federal election law. When you read through these charges, they are essentially taking what the DA himself calls nine checks, sorry, 11 checks, and breaks them down into every element of that process. So them entering it into the ledger, them receiving the stub, them issuing the check, like it, 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 it subdivides that process. In reality, it appears that Stormy Daniels, the Stormy Daniels situation, the $130,000 payment is the only element of this that they are charging for. So this $30,000 payment and the other thing with David Pecker is mentioned probably to set up a conspiracy. Conspiracy is also a part of this. But it is the payment, the 34 false entries, those are the 34 charges that is going to be the, the, the heart of this. Essentially, the leaks were right. I mean, that's the headline. The leaks that came out on Thursday were correct. This is going to be about what we thought it was about. This does not, at least right now, does not suggest that there are there is more information here than we already know. There's not another witness. There's not other evidence that appears to be glaringly obvious, at least from my perspective, in reading these charges. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Obviously, this is a first blush reaction to things. But my opinion on this is the same that it was when we first heard about it, you know, a week ago. Um, unless there is evidence, the only tunnel I can see here is if there is evidence that there is a tax issue here that he disguised, you know, he didn't pay his taxes correctly, basically then I think it's highly unlikely that you're going to be able to prove an FEC charge. And that's the way that this becomes a felony, that it's not a misdemeanor. If that's the case, I, I think that the, the reports about this being the weakest of potential charges against Donald Trump are true. Okay, a few more legal things before we get to the other side of this. Number one, <laughs> oh my God. The judge said that he wanted to move fast on this. So what does fast look like in the Manhattan court system? December 4th. It's April. December 4th, just hear those sleigh bells ringling, ding, ding, dingling too. Oh, and by the way, the New Hampshire 
primary is going to be on the third week of January this year. The third week of January. So we will be within a month and a half of the first primary during the first day that Trump is going to be in New York City for this hearing on December 4th. Because, by the way, the judge did insist that Donald Trump come to that hearing on, on December 4th. He said he may or may not allow him to not be there going forward, but he wanted him for that first one. Speaking of other things that Donald Trump can and cannot do, no gag order was issued on this particular case. The judge did admonish the former president to mind his P's and Q's on social media. Trump was particularly pointed on Truth Social, saying that the judge didn't like him and that the judge's daughter has worked for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. That second part does appear to be true. He was calling for the judge to recuse himself. The judge does not, but there, uh, there is no gag order as of now. December 4th! This news update is brought to you by everybody who heads to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you go there right now, you will be able to get bonus content on this show including the place where I totally embarrassed myself. I humiliated myself. Do you want to bear witness to my humiliation? You can head on over there right now. Take politicsseriously.com. You get a bonus episode each and every Monday morning. That's the first politics show to start your day. Somebody told me a Founders Day this weekend that they love that Monday show because it tells them if they have to care about politics this week. Love that. You also get the Thursday late edition that comes out Thursday afternoon. But that is all in service of this update. We do have elections today. Two of them in the Midwest. The mayor of Chicago will be determined tonight. It seems to be a very close election and results are not expected this evening, or at least final elections or final results are not expected this evening. So it made sense not to hold this uh, until later in the evening. Apologies to at least one extraordinarily passionate fan of Chicago politics that we have not spent more time on this race. What am I going to say? I mean, look, I, I, I felt guilty parachuting into New York and pretending that I knew what their mayoral system was. I don't love doing tourist stuff. I don't like pretending to be a legal eagle like I was in that last segment. I'm just doing my best to read it and process it in the way that I would as a reporter and not a legal mind, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to things as if we were just in a newsroom. So it, it, it feels disingenuous to do it. So keep an eye on the Chicago mayoral election. Those results should be out tomorrow. <laughs> Hopefully, who knows? And then also the Wisconsin Supreme Court. There, a liberal judge 
is facing off against a conservative who lost his seat on that Supreme Court in 2020. Currently, conservatives have a 4-3 majority on that high court, but one of the conservative justices is retiring. That means that the, you know, the ideological tilt of a a state that has become increasingly more and more important in the uh, world of presidential politics is at stake. This race has been the most expensive judicial race in American history. More than $445 million has been spent shattering the $10 million record that was spent in 2020. And finally, Finland has officially become a part of NATO. Obviously, this uh, came as the result of Vladimir Putin's invasion into Ukraine. Finland becomes the 31st nation to join the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and it does add three or 830 miles to NATO's border with Russia. That is an ascension to membership that happened very, very, very fast in the grand scheme of things. And that wraps it up for your non-Trump news update. Again, brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com for all the news that we miss between our free podcasting schedule. That's where you need to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Three bucks for two bonus episodes, only $1 a week if you want an ad-free fee. While we take a break from the news of this, I want to go off on a little bit of a rant here because today is one of those days where the media discourse becomes its own media discourse. And I see a lot that frustrates me. First and foremost, I'm agitated because I had to watch a morning's worth of cable news so I could get some of the archive clips that I have played in this show and will probably play a little bit later. I'm recording this earlier, so I don't know where everything's going to go yet. And geez, Jesus, these channels are brain rotting. Not only are they uh, their own narrative factories where the things don't matter, and they're also in diametric opposition to each other. It feels like they are two friends at a bar yelling while you're just trying to ask your other friend how his kids are doing at softball. It doesn't all have to revolve around whether or not this narrative is pure and this narrative is evil. But more than that, the people that are on there are almost assuredly dumb. And that might sound mean. And I know I have a longstanding frustration with television news in general and cable news in specific. But there was one segment, and I'm not going to name the person, but they get ridiculed on Twitter 24-7. And normally that's not that big of a deal because a lot of people get ridiculed on Twitter 24-7. But this person, very often as it happened to him, because he's sloppy, because he covers things that are exceptionally dumb, 
And when that happens, one might think that there would be some alteration of whether or not this person is presented in a manner of authority, let alone that the story he was there to promote was stupid as well. It was just a dumb story. It's a premise for which is a stretch to call news. It might be a decent feature story, but this person's beat is not feature. Feature actually requires talent. Feature requires a lot of interviews. Feature requires a perceptive human instinct so you can translate a larger human conflict into something that comes between news and poetry. It is prose. It is the kind of article that somebody reads when they are young and they say, man, I wish I was talented enough to write like that. And they go on a journey for which eventually brings them to some kind of journalistic endpoint. That's the pure element of journalism. And again, look, I'm biased toward writers and not toward talkers, despite the fact that I have become a talker. Really, this is my own self-loathing playing itself out. Beyond that, This story was played as if it were the Pentagon Papers. And this wasn't even about Trump, right? I'm going to get to the Trump stuff in a second. Oh, wow. 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 All the besuited panel said in unison as they went to an ad for the XFL. It's rotting your brain. If you watch cable news, I am begging you, begging you, please. Please make a change in your life today that could benefit not only you, but your health and the health and happiness of the people that love you. If you were to tell me I'm going to try fentanyl, I'd be like, I don't know, probably not a good idea. If you told me I'm going to start watching cable news, I would Baker Act you. I would involuntarily put you in some level of containment So you could not allow these brain worms to make their way betwixt your ears. The other media element of this is how much coverage should Donald Trump being indicted get? How much coverage? And this is something that I think about a lot on this show. Exactly how much do you cover Donald Trump. And since no one asked, I will give you my personal philosophy. Because I do believe that Donald Trump can be, well, a very tasty filler if you are looking at a news hole. And let me also explain how this works. For every element of the news game, television, newspapers, hell, even daily TikToks or Instagrams, What you have to put out into the world is referred to as the news hole. You have to fill it with information. And how you gather that information can be wide and varied. And I'm not here to necessarily cast dispersions on, you know, somebody who just synthesizes news versus somebody who goes out there and gets it. Although I do think that we should treat them as different things. Donald Trump is somebody that throughout his entire life really certainly his professional life has been very, very good at giving journalists a reason to put a Trump related story 
in that news hole. He's great at it. He's one of the best publicists of our time. And indeed, he might be the best, considering the heights that he climbed while doing it. But that does not mean that he's not a newsworthy figure. The man, the 45th president of the United States, and he has now been indicted on charges, something that no former president has ever had happen to them in the modern era. So should Donald Trump be covered today? Yes. Yes, you should have cameras outside of his apartment. You should have cameras and microphones outside of where he is going to surrender. Yes, you should cover his speech both before and after he comes out of Alvin Bragg's office. You should run his mugshot. You should run quotes and comments and sound and visuals from the scene that happens out there because what's happening out there today is newsworthy. Now, if, let's say the case got dropped, just for for hypothetical, and he continued to talk about what he did on that day or goes on to talk about whatever else, the fact that everything everywhere all at once was a bad movie or something like that, all the stuff that he normally does to stay in the news. Should you cover him then? No. NPR put out a thing today saying we are breaking the cycle. Oh, we're not going to air his speech. That, to me, is a dereliction of very basic news value. And guess what? Donald Trump is right now the leading candidate in the Republican primary. That means that there is a lot of this country that would like to see him run for the presidency again. Much in the same way that there was a large portion of our country that probably wanted Al Gore to run and wanted Hillary Clinton to run. It doesn't mean you have to like them. It does mean that if we are going to, for one second, elevate ourselves beyond just being spectators and beyond, even worse, us being political prognosticators as news gatekeepers or news presenters and actually look at the tenets of newsworthiness for which or what you learn in journalism school, then absolutely today is the day you cover it. Every other day, do your, you know, recipes for marmalade jam or whatever the hell else happens on NPR these days. I don't know what the situation where I would have to listen to as much NPR as I watched cable news this morning, but maybe one day I'll do a longer rant on that. One of the first lessons I got when I was a student at the SI Newhouse School for Public Communications at Syracuse University, and I don't know who exactly told it to me, but it's, you know, one of my favorite professors. Uh, so let's just say Steve Davis. Let's just say it's Professor Steve Davis, because I do think that this is a smart idea. He said that a lead, which I consider to be the core element of journalism. It is distilled journalism. 
The lead in a newspaper article is the first thing that you read. It's often a sentence. It's usually short. And right under that, you have what's called a nut graph. Yes, I found it funny then, and I still do. The nut graph is, in a news story, the entire story you're about to read. So a lead would be uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh gets his head stuck in a honeypot. And then the nut graph would be a curious bear in the thousand uh, acre woods has found himself unable to remove himself from a honeypot. Uh, and he is now being aided by Piglet and Christopher Robin. And then the rest of the story is you filling in details on that. But it goes from the smallest way that you can explain this story to slightly larger. And then the rest of the story is a longer version of what you've told in those first two things. And so a lead I have always found to be the distillate of news. And the way it was explained to me was if you had to pick up the phone and you only had five seconds to tell your best friend what was happening, what would you say? Think about that for a second. In your head, let's say you only had five seconds. You were only able to get one message across. How would you fashion that? There's an art to it. There's a skill to it. But at the very, very, very core, there's human emotion. Human emotion for being biased to where you are in that moment. You want to remember when news happens. You want to know what everybody around you will be talking about for days, weeks, and years. Now, beyond that, a second level on top of that is a more strategic part of our brain. Whether or not we want our enemies to succeed or fail. And so we can downplay certain things or amplify others so we can reach our aims there. But the core element of us, the things that make us human, is wondering what other humans find important. And news is that arbiter. When you talk about a good or bad news person, that sense of news value is what you truly discuss, at least in my opinion. So yes, right now is worthwhile. No, everything else that happens around it may or may not be. But there's a reason why we are going wall to wall on Trump today. And that's why. Also, don't watch cable news. It's stupid. Let's end our episode with what you came here for. We can talk about the legal element of it. Who cares, right? Someone's going to have a smarter take on that. We can talk about the media element of it. And boy, do you guys know that I love to talk about the media. But ultimately, the media is going to do what the media is going to do. The, 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 the taste that I got for complaining about the media was being inside the media, who, guess what, couldn't control the media either. Wild pack of animals they are. No, the best thing that we do on this show is discuss politics. All three of them. So it is with that that I say this. 
Donald Trump right now is unstoppable in the Republican primary. If there is a dangling portion of this story that does not even begin to commence until December, that's the incubation period that literally anybody else would need to take him down. That's the time that would need to occur. You would need to build the kind of momentum. You'd need to build the team. You'd need to build the strategy. You'd need to raise the money that would beat Donald Trump in the Republican primary. And as we've seen, as soon as Donald Trump got indicted, especially on these charges, it became a rallying point for the rest of the Republican Party who felt that this was a politically motivated attack that went too far. Jeb Bush defended Donald Trump today. David French defended Donald Trump today. This is, beyond being an absolute money fountain for Donald Trump, a martyrdom moment. Trust me, I, I spend enough time on the internet to read the, you know, <laughs> the facts that this is happening on Easter, okay? This is Easter week. Depending on when you're listening to this, Jesus might have already flipped over the money changers tables and said, this is a house of God, okay? We are, we are in the week of American martyrdom. And it's happening now. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that based on this meta, it is extraordinarily inhospitable to try and take down Donald Trump. Because to try and take down Donald Trump is to align yourself with the Manhattan District Attorney. Ron DeSantis can't do it. Mike Pence can't do it. I mean, hell, I, I don't even know if Liz Cheney can do it. Maybe Liz Cheney, but I mean, that would presume that people in the Republican Party liked her, which they don't. This has elevated the other sins of Donald Trump to be lesser than somebody who is being unfairly prosecuted in the eyes of the Republican primary electorate. Now, we have seen that play out in the polls. We have seen that play out in fundraising. Will it get old? Will more charges make Donald Trump more alienating than he is right now? Because right now he's very popular in the Republican Party. Very popular. And trying to take him down would be Something extraordinarily hard. Does him catching a charge in Fulton County, does that turn the screw? Do, you know, right now it seems like the most solid legal footing that any charge against Donald Trump has is the Mar-a-Lago documents case. And we've seen that eroded in the court of public opinion with every other 
you know, a presidential person having documents in their employ, sometimes for years, if not decades, over a decade. So I short, I mean, obviously, look, we don't know. I'll say the same thing that I said about Donald Trump in 2015 when it was the Russia stuff. Like, we'll find out if there's anything we don't know. But let's assume that we do know everything. Let's assume that everything else is a rehash version of what we've seen. I believe that Donald Trump is the Republican nominee in 2024. It is hard for me to look at anything that would give someone else a lane when to separate yourself from Trump on this issue is to essentially tie yourself to, again, this is the eyes of the Republican electorate, political persecution and rampant crime and defund the police. I mean, that's when, 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 when folks say Soros DA, George Soros funding these district attorneys, or sorry, fact trackers, funding super PACs that then pledge monies to these district attorneys. Okay, am I good? Am I good, Snopes? What you're doing politically from the Republican perspective is saying that not only are these people biased, not only are these district attorneys going above and beyond guidance from federal law enforcement on things like charge stacking, which you're going to hear a lot about these uh, Alvin Bragg charges, but also you are following an ideological perspective that makes people in cities less safe. And I don't think there's anybody in the Republican field that can navigate around that. And the time that you would think they could navigate around it would be sometime between now and December 4th. You know, everyone's going to have to be on the Republican side, on Trump's side until then, which means you effectively don't really have a primary. At least it would make sense to me if that's a possibility. A lot can change between then and now. But... I think we might have our presidential matchup in 2024 set already. Politics, politics, politics Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Oh, if you'd like to send me an old email, you can do so. Theyoungamerican at gmail.com. And let me just throw this out here. So we, we've gotten a few people that have mentioned it. We switched hosting providers a couple weeks ago. We used to be on one. Now we're on another. I had somebody, a very sweet person from England say, hey, I, I always like to listen to your show. Are you still making it? And I'm like, well, yeah, I am. He's like, well, I, I've been going to your website. It doesn't, it says that the, it, it, it's, it's not even there anymore. That's because I deleted the account associated with the old hosting thing, because I already have a new hosting thing. 
So if for whatever reason you happen to know somebody that only listens to this show by going to a website and hitting play on a file, number one, God bless you. I love you. Number two, let them know to head back to politicspoliticspolitics.com. If you go to listen now, the new and correct website is on there. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it is px3tweets. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it is Justin R. Young. If you want to follow me live on the uh, internet Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, it is px3live. If you want to uh, share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, it is px3podcast.com. Support this program with a one-time donation on PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash. And you can send anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Our very energetic uh, Chicago mayoral advocate sent me this week in the mail a Chicago gift of a Malort hat and mini Malort bottles. So I have that in my, in my uh, employee right now. I've been wearing the Malort hat the last couple of days. Thank you so much. If you would like to get bonus content, you can do so at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier, Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T., Albasso, John, Craig Potts, Unsafe TB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Neemeister, Catherine, Todd, and Vocloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A., Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-mile runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, D.L., Stephen, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. You want your name read on the show? Just this simple. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And uh, that'll be it. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, We will end the fake president's bracket. And, uh, you know, who knows? (laughs) I'll have to come up with something in the next 24 hours. But uh, I I wanted to see where our... Where our meta is, and my head is still swimming, but I want to get this out to you guys as soon as possible. Until next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss... Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.